Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Good morning. It's always a pleasure to sing with this choir. It's fun, it really is. And speaking of celebrations, which dear Reverend Tom was talking about, the choir is also celebrating something tremendously. We're celebrating the 10th anniversary of being blessed with a fantastic organist, Elisa Bickers. This is her 10th year. being blessed with having the more love corral here too this morning and I couldn't think of a better named ensemble to really illustrate our scripture today it's John 21 verses 15 through 19 if you wish you may find this passage in your pew Bible on page 990 but as always first let us prepare our hearts dear Lord Help us remember that our soul is often a chariot without wheels, clogged and hindered in sin's miry clay. As the scriptures are read this morning, help melt our hearts, heal our backsliding, and realize that thy grace, patience, and most of all, love is a powerful incentive to repentance. Amen. Now, before we read this morning's passage, our esteemed Reverend Tom R. asked the readers to give you a little background. Now, when Jesus was resurrected, he saw his disciples fishing. It was about daybreak. When Peter realized it was Jesus, he leaped from the boat and swam to shore. There, on the beach, Peter and Jesus ate breakfast together, and they had this conversation. Let us listen for God's word to us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said, oh, well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Ah, and then he said, Lord, you know everything. Ah, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, wherever you wished, you were younger and you used to fasten your own boat 
and the belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Now Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would eventually glorify God. After this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Lord's word stands forever. So this is a, it's a remarkable moment to me in the life of Jesus. Because here Peter sits by this charcoal fire on the beach as Jesus is cooking breakfast. And there's a lot in the air. It's not lost on me that the last time we read about Peter and a fire, it was in the courtyard, and his mouth was filled with words of denial. I'm sorry, you've got the wrong guy. I simply do not know that man. Now, neither one of them bring that moment up, but you know what it's like when the biggest thing in the room is unsaid. And so they both carried that memory to this breakfast on the beach. But then Jesus, he pushes the reset button. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I do. You know I do. And Jesus did know that. He not only knew that Peter loved him, he knew Peter needed to say it out loud. What Jesus wants to do now is remind them both what really matters. So three times he asked him, do you love me? And three times Peter responds, yes. So that now this is their story. Their story is not a story of denying three times but of affirming love three times. And this is a love that not only comes to Peter in what is without question the wake of his worst moment, it comes to Peter as a word of forgiveness, but also a word of calling. Jesus looks to this broken disciple and says, I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you to feed my sheep. Uh, when he talks about his sheep, he's talking about us, the church, you and me, his followers. And what his sheep are hungry for is love. So what he says is, I'm counting on you to love the church, Peter. And it's kind of amazing because Peter's been a mess. He, he got it all wrong. He, 
He's carrying this burden, this weight with him. And you know, sometimes, sometimes when we are clearest that we don't have it all put together, sometimes when we're very aware that we don't have everything figured out, that we're not sure where the path is leading us, sometimes that's the moment when Jesus speaks most clearly, I'm counting on you, not because you're perfect or qualified, but because you are loved. I'm counting on you to love the church, to feed my sheep. It had to catch Peter off guard a bit. I mean, don't, 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 you, think when, don't you think when he leapt out of that boat and was swimming to the shore, then in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I bet Jesus is going to want to process that conversation I had at the fire. He's going to want to talk it over a little bit, see if we can work our way through it. But instead, what Jesus says is, I need you to remember now the love we have for each other. And let that shape what happens next. Peter, I know you. I know what you said. I know how you failed. I know how you stumbled. But still, I am counting on you to love the church. It's kind of an amazing moment, and a love like that can sometimes catch you by surprise. You know, maybe anytime someone who really knows us still loves us, there's a little bit of surprise in there. I, I've shared this moment with you before. I, I was visiting with a woman named Jean. She was a, a saint of the church I served in Jacksonville and Jean's husband, Bud, died. And it had been about a year and I went by to see her. We were having coffee in her kitchen. And I said, so how is it now? And she said, it's awful. She said, we were married for 53 years, Tom. She said, Tom, we've been married longer than you've been. I said, that's true. She said, I can't remember not being married. There's nothing that seems right now. He was a part of everything. She said, he used to sit right there where you're sitting and read his paper in the morning. And when he was shaving in the morning, he played the radio, played it so loud. I told him, turn it down. The neighbors don't need to hear the radio, bud. And she said, at the end of the day, when we turned the TV off, he'd say, well, how was your day? She said, he would ask me that even if neither one of us had left the house all day long. I said, he loves you. He loved you, didn't he? She said, you know, he did. Sounded kind of surprised, she did. She said, you know, she said, I can think of a million reasons why he wouldn't love me. I could think of a couple myself. I, I knew her pretty well. <laughs> he said, but he loved me every day. What surprised me was after 53 years, there still was surprise in that, but, but maybe it shouldn't be so surprising. And maybe when we come in here, when we come in here and we remember again that the God who created the universe, the God who knows your every moment, the God who knows you better than you know yourself, that God who knows it all, the, the good and the shameful, the beautiful and the broken, that God loves you by name with a love that will never let you go. 
And if you wrap your head and heart around that, if it doesn't surprise you at least a little, I don't think you've taken it all in. I think about this every time we have baptism. You know, Barracks, he has no idea how much he's loved. No, no idea. And De Dennis and Elizabeth, they, they love him when it's easy, and they know now it's easy. And they will love him when it's hard. I'm remembering, I'm remembering a time when our son, when, when he was preschool age, we would hear him in the middle of the night just shouting out, cold, cold, cold. He would go run in there, what's wrong? He kicked his blankets off, and instead of reaching down and pulling them up himself, he summoned his staff. <laughs> Bates, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we love him when it's hard. You'll love him when he's embarrassed that you love him. But someday, these kids, they realize it's love that carries us through. I think that's why Jesus says, feed my sheep, and what they're hungry for the most is love. If I, understand, if I understand the text, I think what Jesus is teaching us is that the first work of the church is to love one another. Love is the currency of the church. Now look, I know we mess it up sometimes. You mess it up sometimes. I mess it up sometimes. And, and we talk about love being the currency of the church not because we're necessarily better at it than other people. That's not the point at all. I'm just saying that time and again, Jesus says, love each other, be good to each other, to claim a connection to one another in the church matters. And I think it matters for lots of reasons, but let me tell you just one that I think about all the time. I'm continually amazed at how much loneliness there is in this culture. We live in a lonely time. Now look, most of us are surrounded by people all the time, but being surrounded by people doesn't mean you feel connected to people. And when you don't feel connected, the presence of people can only intensify the loneliness. Folks are lonely. Uh, I remember reading about Moss Hart. He was a playwright, died in the early 60s. In his autobiography, he told of a moment of his childhood. He grew up, he said, in a drab tenement in the Bronx in New York City. It was Christmas Eve and he was 10 years old and his dad took him down to 149th Street where he said there was a, a, a line of push carts with vendors that had various toys and gifts to sell for Christmas presents and his father took him down there to buy him something for Christmas. And so they went to the first push cart and, and, and looked and, and Moss said he, he saw something that might be interesting and he sort of looked at his dad, his dad asked the price and then they went to the next push cart and to the next. He saw something that might be interesting, he looked at his dad, his dad asked the price and he went to the next cart and the next and he said when they almost got to the end of the line, heard his dad reach in his pocket and jingle a few coins and that's when he realized what was going on his dad had saved a few coins in hopes to buy him something for Christmas but he was 10 years old and the things that he wanted well Christmas was too expensive he said he 
Years later, he recounted his feelings that night. He said, I looked at my dad and I saw the despair in his eyes. And I wanted to say, forget it, none of this matters. The only thing that matters is I love you. That's all. But instead, he said, we stood shivering in the cold for a moment and then turned and walked away from the last two push carts and silently headed back home. He said, I don't remember that I took his hand or that he took mine. We were just two lonely people struggling to find each other. We live in a lonely culture. Even the scientists are telling us so. Remember reading about John Cassiopo, the author, scientist, and the author of a book called Loneliness. He said, he said that those who identify themselves as chronically lonely, which is or today are about a third of the adult population in the United States, he said, those who identify as chronically lonely, the epinephrine in their blood is elevated. It's a stress hormone. He said their white blood cell counts are altered. He, he says when we are lonely, our whole body is lonely. Now I hope, I pray that village is an antidote to that. You know, the first thing that God said is not good it's not good to be alone. We were wired for that. In everything we do, I hope we are mindful that we do it together, that village is not just a place to have a spiritual experience as important as that may be. It is even more so a place to have a spiritual family, a community. Yesterday, we we had a session retreat here at the church. Our session met to welcome new officers. It was a wonderful and inspiring time. And we invited our new elders to share a little bit of their own perspective and journey of faith. And one of our newest elders, a young adult in this community, she, she said she remembered that when she went to college, her sister gave her some good advice. Her sister said, when you get to college, you need to, you need to find that community where you can just drop your backpack and be at home, that they, they welcome you and they, they love you on good days and bad. You just know you belong. You need to find that community. And she said, I did, but I haven't been in college for a long time. And, and I couldn't find that community until I found you. And it's you that welcomed me. And it was you who loved me. And it was you who stood by me at times. And it's you who showed me I belong. You are my home, she said. We all need that. That's why when we baptize a child, when we baptize barracks, we make promises. Remember that. You promised to be the church. For, for barracks and for all children of the church to be the community where they know that they are loved and that they belong. They are loved by God and loved by us. And, and that's why it's so important that we have Brooke Lattice in, in Lighthouse and Zach Walker in our youth ministry because our kids are growing up in a lonely world and sometimes a harsh-spirited world and they need a community that will welcome them and love them and tell them they belong. 
That's why your officers make promises to care for you in times of joy or sorrow. That's why, gosh, over 70 of us in this congregation spend all kinds of time being the best Stephen ministers they know how to be to to listen with you in a time of need or sorrow. That's why we call not just one but two pastors of pastoral care to make sure that the church is there for you when you need it the most because we know when Jesus looked at Peter, he was telling him the first work of the church is to feed the sheep and what we hunger for the most is love. I want to be a little personal with you in a way that's unusual for me. I'm personal with you all every week, but this is a little different. Because I want to tell you how your love has changed my life. So the Presbyterian women um, have invited our daughter Sarah to come speak at the Advent uh, celebration. And I I am terribly grateful to the Presbyterian women for giving our daughter a reason to come home. And seeing uh, the uh, publicity for that reminded me of a few years ago, she stood before Heartland Presbytery to be examined to become a pastor in the church. It's just a normal process uh, that, we, that we all go through. But for Sarah, God love her, three separate times on the floor of Presbytery during that examination, someone said to her in some fashion, said basically, so your dad... He's a, that's be kind of, kind of a burden, isn't it? Uh, have your dad as your dad? Um, Presbytery can be a truth-telling place at times. <laughs> the third time she was asked that, she said, you know, my dad and lots of members of my family have been called by God to this work. And just as God has called them, God has called me. And someone said, but tell us why you want to do this. Why do you want to be a pastor? And she said, because I love the church. I love the church. And I thought, huh. I don't remember the last time I heard someone say they love the church on the floor of Presbytery. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember when that happened. Well, a month or so later, I stood next to her at this table where she broke bread and poured the cup for the first time. And then I stood right there with her, bread in her hand, cup in mine, and I listened as she whispered, the body of Christ broken for you, Cindy. The body of Christ broken for you, Nancy. The body of Christ broken for you, George. The body of Christ broken for you, Carol. That was her mother. She's listened to me talk about God her whole life, but when she's seen God most clearly, it's been in her mother. And then what I realized, as she called your names one by one, not only was it one of the holiest moments in my life, but I all of a sudden understood why she said what she said on the floor of Presbytery, because you are the ones who loved her into ministry. What she was saying is, if you knew the people that I know, who wouldn't want to do this? Because the people I know, 
They feed you what you hunger for what you hunger the most. The people I know, they've loved me. So I love the church. Love is the currency of the church. Not because we're better at it than anybody else. That's not the point. It's because we have been loved and not only just in general, but sometimes when we have been our weakest, when we have been most clear that we lack clarity, when we have been most sure that we are uncertain, even in those moments when we're a mess ourselves, that word of love comes to you and says, I'm counting on you to love one another. I'm counting on you to remember my love for you and your love for me and let that determine what happens next. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.